Welcome to the Olive Tree Church podcast channel. Whether you are listening in from our beloved Durban, South Africa, or from further away, we trust you feel welcome and included in what God is doing in our community, and that you feel inspired by today's message. Welcome to week three of our series, There's Grace for This, and today we really want to dig into the subjects um, that there's grace not just for forgiveness of sin and to have a relationship with God, there's actually grace for life and to thrive in life. Grace, so often we think about grace this way, that grace is what brings us from sinner to this place of a deep relationship with God and peace with God, but grace is also there to take us from that space into an area of life or, or the areas of life where we get to thrive and grow and experience fullness and joy. So that's where we're going today, but before we get there, I want to ask a question. Did you own it during lockdown? And do you know anyone that owned it during lockdown? Because it's quite a big thing. Uh, I actually met some people recently who said, man, they're really going to miss aspects of lockdown. And for a lot of people, they're going, I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, lockdown for some people was amazing. Some people really owned it. And it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. I really feel like I owned lockdown. And it's not because I'm a genius. It's just because I was spoiled. I felt so spoiled. In fact, I didn't want to post anything on Instagram about how spoiled I was. But... As lockdown was beginning, probably the two days before we knew lockdown was happening, we got a call from friends who live in the Western Cape, and her parents own a farm just outside Hermanus, and they invited us to come and spend lockdown with them. And my wife and I, we made the decision, we packed, we jumped in a car, and we drove through the night, and we arrived in the Overberg, which is this amazing space. Um, just outside Hermanus, and we got to spend six weeks on a farm. So uh, some people were, you know, sharing things about how they were running around their garden or running around their house or whatever. I actually got to run all the time there. Uh, it was a farm, and I got to do my first marathon. I ran 42.2 kilometers uh, while I was on lockdown, which was awesome. The other thing about this amazing place is it wasn't just a farm, but it was, and I actually feel bad to say this, but it was a lamb farm. And lamb is like my favorite type of meat. And so we ate so much lamb, and we just bride, and it was awesome. And there were quite a few people there, actually, like because the, the parents who owned the farm, they had two children and us, so there were a few of us, and we just got to spend this time together. We'd have fires in the evening and talk around the fire late into the night. Uh, and not only that, but um, the farmer had a problem that he asked me to help him with, and that problem is that he had some pests on his farm called Egyptian geese and sparing geese. They eat the feed that they give for the sheep. And he asked me to help him with pest control. And so I got to do a little bit of shooting or hunting. And I love that. I'm sorry if that offends you, but for me personally, I love it. And so I was fully into it. I was kitted out. I was wearing khaki. That's actually the real reason I started to grow a mustache is because it just felt like I was more at one with the bush and I was crawling around helping the farmer. I felt so valuable, but it was awesome. Um, and we would go to the, this dam often, and we'd take my boy, and we'd drop, jump on quad bikes and, and cruise up to this dam, and we'd sit there, and it was a dam of natural spring water. So it was pure, pure clean. It would bubble up through the earth, and it was so crystal clean you could drink it. It was amazing. In the evening, sometimes we would jump on the quad bikes and drive up the mountain on the farm, and we'd get to see this beautiful sunset over the Feinboss. And it was so amazing that I was just like, I, don't, I feel so spoiled because people are like saying, yo, this is tough and pray for me. And I was just like, yo, this is so tough and please pray this never ends because lockdown was awesome. I owned lockdown. 
And uh, it's such an interesting concept, this, this thing of like owning life or owning a part of life. But if you really think about someone who owns life, what do you think about? Maybe for you, it's a sportsman. And you just like were like, man, if I could be a sportsman and I could be a professional sportsman and, and be paid to do what I love doing. And maybe you got like some sports like rugby and I know some rugby guys, it's a pretty tough sport to be involved in, injuries, all that kind of stuff. So then maybe you go football, but maybe you got to be a professional surfer and you got to travel around the world and get paid money to go surf the best waves in some of the most beautiful locations. Maybe that for you is like your dream life. Or maybe you want to be like a business mogul and you just got to uh, meet with some of the most brilliant business minds and people and, and do deals and make stuff happen and empower situations. Maybe that's what you dream about and you think that's what owning life would be. Or maybe for you, when you think about owning life, you think about one man and that is Vladimir Putin. I mean, the guy is unbelievable, okay? He is a billionaire 40 times over. He's estimated conservatively to have some wealth of $40 billion. Uh, he runs a country, which is pretty cool, uh, and he takes uh, photos of himself without a shirt on horseback to impress his own people. And they're like, Vladimir, we love you. I don't know if that was the best accent, but you've seen where I'm going with this, okay? And maybe that for you is just owning it. I don't know what your version of owning it is, but what I'm going to speak to, to you today about is owning it in life. Because God has got grace for us, not just to be forgiven of our sins, but to live a full and abundant life. And what does that look like for you? And what does it mean to really have a sense that you get to own it in life? And um, and so here's the verse, Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, and it says this, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? That's where we're going to end up, through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to dig into this verse today, and I want you to understand each aspect of this. And so I'm going to unpack little aspects of this so that we can come to a fuller understanding uh, of where we're going. Okay, so the first thing is, for if by the trespass of the one man. Now that is a reference to Adam. And uh, Adam was the one man. Adam was the great, great, great granddaddy of us all. And when Adam sinned, he trespassed, he sinned, and he broke uh, God's command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he did that, sin entered into the world, and the result of it was death. And so Adam was the guy who basically got the whole ball rolling in the sin department, but every single person since we've added to his original sin. And uh, every single person knows what it's like to be affected by sin. Every single person knows what it's like to feel wronged or cheated. I remember the one of the first times where serious sort of sin was done against me and our family. I was seven years old, and we had a, a season where I think in two weeks we got broken into twice in our home. And I remember so clearly the one day I came home, and uh, our front door was here, and I looked through the window, and there was just this mess because they had ransacked our house. And I remember this feeling of absolute fear just sort of gripped me. Uh, and I said, Mom, Mom, something's wrong, and we had been robbed. 
And then two weeks later, that happened again. And I remember as a youngster, this feeling of a few things. Number one, this is so wrong. Who are these people to just come into our house and take what they want? And uh, number two, just a sense of fear that our world wasn't such a safe place. And apparently there were people out there that could wrong us at any point in time. And every single person knows what it's like to be wronged in some way, to be cheated on, to be lied about, to be gossiped about, to be used, to be treated like an object, to feel like uh, someone objectifies you or just uses you as a means to an end. We all know what it's like, that sense of indignation and betrayal and hurt and all those things. And every single person, here's the kicker, every single person here knows what it's like to wrong someone else to have done something maybe to someone you love and you've got this question in your heart, is sorry going to be enough? I'm going to say sorry because I know I was wrong, but is it actually going to be enough to repair that relationship or to remember what you did and to feel the sense of shame or to feel the sense of if people knew that about me, man, I don't know how I'd cope. Just a sense of shame. It gets inside of you. We know what it's like to lash out at people, sometimes to lash out at people that we love. And afterwards go, man, I shouldn't have said that. And and say something like, oh, well, it's not your fault and it was actually me and it was just a situation. But you know that you're taking out your anger and your sense of whatever on someone else that you love and it was unfair. And we all know what it's like to do stuff that we wish we hadn't do or to do stuff that we feel ashamed about, to lie about someone else or to cheat someone else or to do the thing that we never thought we would do. And, and how do you fix that? And how do you live in that space? So what happened is that when Adam sinned, when the trespass of the one man came in, we all inherited his sin and we added it to, added to it. And that resulted in something happening. It says death reigned. And I'm going to speak quite a bit about how death reigned in the different areas of life, but I want to open up this word here, reigned. That word reigned comes uh, from the Greek word basileus, which means kingdom or king. And so what happens is that we lived in the kingdom of the king called death. Death was the king over our life and his rule and his malicious, malevolent intent was geared towards us and we lived under that reign. And let me explain six areas that that happened. Because here's the thing about death. The Bible says a couple of things. Number one, it says the wages of sin is death. And what happened in the garden is God gave Adam a, a command. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then he said, if you eat from that tree, you shall die. And that's such an amazing thing because when Adam and Eve, they took that fruit and they bit into it, you expect them to go... Dead, like poison, instantaneous poison. poison. But that's not what happened. So what happened? Was God like overselling and under-delivering? It's like, no, you're going to die, but ah, not really die, like just slightly. No, what happened is this concept of death is far more overreaching and, and overarching than we think. It's not just physically alive or dead. It's that there's aspects of death or leanness or meanness or nastiness or stinginess or darkness, or lack, or depravity in different spheres of this thing called life. And so we're going to open up six spheres of death that every single one of us have to contend with because of the one trespass of Adam and because of the sin which we added to it. The first is this, death in our relationship with God. 
See, God made us for an intimate connection with Him. He made us for life and joy and abundance and fullness in this relationship with Him, a relationship that's meant to enthrall us and, and excite us and be new every day. But what happened is when we sinned, we get cut off from that relationship. And so death enters our relationship with God. And we, we, we go through life hoping to have this relationship with God. And are we doing good enough? And, and is it really, and what should have been natural and beautiful becomes difficult and confusing. And, and we've got to wade through stuff. And maybe you're out there today going, hey, I don't know what it's like to have life in this relationship with this person called God. But uh, you, you, you look at other people who are singing worship songs and you're going, they seem like they mean it. Or people who are praying and you're like, they seem like it's real for them. But for me, it just feels like this empty space and it's like there's nothing there. Or I hope there's there. Is there there? That's because... Death is reigning in that space, this separation or this uh, alienation from God. And the Bible says that sin made us enemies of God in our hearts and our minds. And so this relationship which we are made for, which is beautiful, which is the foundation of life, is severed and broken. And how do we, what do we do about that? The second uh, uh, part or sphere that we live in is this relationship that we have with ourselves. You see, God made you not to think you're the best person in the world and better than other people. God made you to realize that you are a reflection of, his, of who He is. Why? Because you're created and made in His image that you're inherently valuable. Why? Because you reflect who He is. When I look at my son, I see something of myself and it brings joy to my heart. When God looks at you, He sees something of Himself and it brings joy to His heart. But the problem is that, that death gets into this relationship the way we, we relate to ourselves and it messes stuff up. Insecurity, uh, lack, the sense of, am I really good enough? Do I really have what it takes? The sense that uh, I've got to hide parts of who I am. If people really saw who I was, would they really still love me? And it's not just that uh, at an emotional, mental, psychological level, it's even at a physical level. We'll deal with sickness. Why? Because this body is an extension of who we are and God made it to be a gift to operate in this world, but it, it suffers as a result of sin or the fall and death enters there and we deal with sickness and decay and disease. And certainly at an emotional level, uh, feelings of uh, shame and self-pity and a whole bunch of stuff which gets inside of us, wrecks us, and mental health issues and all these things. There's this relationship of self that death has entered into. The third one is a relationship with others. Now, as a pastor, I'm always amazed at how mean people can be to themselves. I'm always amazed at how mean people can be to themselves because they have this sense, like they put the standard here and then every time they mess up, they berate themselves or remember everything that they do wrong. They don't see any value in themselves, but I'm even more amazed at how mean we can be to other people. Racism, sexism, ageism, nationalism, pride, arrogance, lording it over people, lashing out at people that we love and care about. And so how many times we end up hurting most the people that we love most? And it makes no sense, but there's this death or this brokenness, this decay, this fragility in our relationship with others. And God's made us to be in deep, beautiful, intimate relationships with other people. He's made you to be connected to other people because that's a reflection of who He is. The fourth area that we deal with is death in relationship to the spirit world. Now, every culture pretty much around the world acknowledges the fact that there's a physical reality 
and there's a spiritual reality. And the Bible is absolutely clear about this, that there is a spiritual reality. And the Word of God says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood enemies, but against spirits and powers and principalities in the unseen place. And I've met people who, and if you're new to Christianity or this church thing, this seems really weird to you, I get that. But I've met people and I've sat with them and they tell me stories about how they have consistent nightmares at night, sometimes three, four, five, six, up to 10 times. And night, nightmares at night with things coming after them. And they wake up in the sense of fear in the room, the sense that there's something not quite right. I remember once I went uh, to, uh, someone gave us a call at the church and they said, please come and pray in my home. There's something going on. And I, I came there and she said, my, my dog always stands at the top of my stairs and ground down the stairs and there's no one down there, but something's going on. And she couldn't sleep at night and she had nightmares and stuff was moving in the night. And it sounds weird, like something out of a Hollywood movie, but we prayed for her and, and we, we had to walk her through this place because she was in a fight in the spirit world. You see, what happened is when Adam and Eve sinned, death entered into this relationship between us and the spirit world. And we became the targets of his malevolence and his viciousness. And he hates us because we are carriers of the image of God. And so he comes to ruin or, or, or rule over our lives, to bring the reign of his, their king into our life. The fifth area, that uh, sphere of life, that death enters into, into, into this place of purpose. You see, Adam and Eve were made for a purpose, and so are you. Adam and Eve were made to tend the garden. They were made to uh, extend the rule and reign of that garden, which was order and beauty and provision throughout the earth. They were made with a sense of purpose to teamwork together and to do the will of God. That was their purpose in life. But when they sinned, they broke their relationship with God, and they end up getting banished from the garden. And ever since, people have struggled struggled so often for a sense of purpose. And purposelessness is a crushing pain. Ask anyone that goes through a season of life, maybe where they've lost a job or gainful employment and they don't know what they're made for. Or people who go from week to week and day to day or month to month, year to year going, what is the point of my life? Why am I here? And they go, well, maybe it's in having as much fun as possible. And they go down that road and it ends up in more pain and disillusionment. Or maybe it's having as much money as possible and they go down that road. And so often they might even get the money and they still go like, what's the point? And the sense of like, why am I here? See, God made us for purpose but sin breaks that. And the last area that we live in relationship with and death enters into is in our relationship to the earth. Now the earth was meant to be a blessing, was meant to provide it for us. And in the garden, Adam and Eve had all the trees of uh, the garden and, and the, the grains from the earth that they could eat of and live on. They didn't even have to work for it. It was an amazing provision of God. But the Bible says that uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, the earth was cursed. And what was meant to be a blessing, which is the whole thing of work, became toil. You see, work is a blessing. Work is a wonderful thing. God is a working God. God worked for six days and he rested for one. So God works. Jesus said, my father is always working and so am I. So why would God do something which was a curse, or which was bad, when actually he's the God of abundance and blessing and love? Of course he wouldn't. And the point is this, is that you're made for work for, for you to add value to other people's lives in a way that you get to use your gifts and talents and abilities and you feel satisfied with afterwards. 
Have you ever done a work project with a team of people or maybe even by yourself, built something and afterwards it was so deeply satisfying because you could see what you built. God made you to work and for it to be a blessing. But what happens when the sin happens is the earth is cursed and work becomes toil and that which was meant to be a blessing becomes a hack. And we feel like we invest and invest and invest and it just, stuff doesn't go right and we live in this place of really lack of provision and fear. And then stinginess, we start to hold on to what we've got because we're scared that we're not going to have enough for tomorrow because what happens if, if I don't have enough for me? And so we live with fear and stinginess and we hold on to stuff and God's made us to be in a place of generosity and abundance and more. And so that's where we go. And here's us right in the middle of this. And you might be like, hey, I don't, I'm all right with God right now. Me and God, we're doing okay. And I'm really okay with others. But maybe you've got fallout in your relationship with some people right now that's really painful. And so there's an aspect of death there. Or maybe you're like, hey, purpose is fine for me right now. But this issue of my relationship with myself, I just don't feel like, you know, a sense of value, or I feel ashamed of my past, or I feel, I don't know what it is, but death might reign in one, more or all of these things for you. And you see, it's into this space that Jesus comes to work and to bring us life. And we're gonna keep reading that verse, and we're gonna go back to that verse right now from Romans 5, 17. It says, for if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, and all of our sins afterwards, death reigned, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Here's the point. You are not meant to be under or uh, in the kingdom of death or under the reign of death. You're meant to be in the kingdom of our great King Jesus. He's the author of life and he wants to give life to you. And so we're gonna open up this positive, awesome part of this verse. It says, firstly, how much more? It's not like there's death here and then life gets to be, you know, as good as the death was bad. No, there's a how much more principle. Why? Because God is a how much more God. Our God is a God of life and there's so much more to Him and so much more to His life than the death that we experience. And so we've got to ask this question, how do we live in this space of reigning in life? And the Bible says that we need to do one thing in two areas of life. What's the one thing that we need to do? We need to receive. What do we need to receive? God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. And so we're gonna dig into that now and to talk through this aspect of receiving, we've got Nat Snordea and she's gonna to speak to us about what it really means to receive from God. I wanna to read to you from Romans five seventeen. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So it's this incredible verse that describes to us that we can actually either be in Adam or in Christ. And if we're in Adam, then we find ourselves struggling with darkness and sin and brokenness and destruction. And if we're in Christ, we find ourselves in freedom and in joy and in abundance and in restfulness. And I think that at many levels, many of us understand that, and yet we can struggle to really draw it into ourselves and, and actually live in the power of what it means. I think that the key for me in this passage is that it says, for all who receive. And that's the thing, this is actually all about how we receive. And um, 
I think that when it comes to receiving, I've observed and I myself have struggled with receiving. And in thinking this through, what I've noticed is that there are typical ways and reasons that we struggle to receive. The first, if you imagine somebody receiving a gift, um, the first is that somebody can actually not want the gift or not think they need the gift. And um, so they'll kind of receive it, but not wholeheartedly. And the second could be that somebody has um, difficulty in believing that they deserve the gift. They might feel like it's an overwhelming gift and that for whatever reason they don't deserve it. And the third can be, if you think about just the physical playing out of receiving a gift, that our hands are too full. We actually don't have space um, to receive the gift. And if I just um, unpack each of those points a little bit, when it comes to not actually wanting the gift, that could be because we don't really understand the value. Uh, we can kind of find ourselves going, is this going to change anything? Do I need it? Um, the way that we've been raised has taught us to kind of have it all together, to make sure that we're okay and to not need anything or anybody. And when we're doing that, we think we're doing quite well at life. Um, the other thing that I think we've been taught through society is that if something's for free, um, it, it, they say it's too, if it's for free, it's too good to be true. Um, and so we find ourselves almost being suspicious, like it, it's such a good gift, can it actually be true? Or if it's for free, does it really have value? Um, and so that can really kind of almost make us stumble in the belief that this is valuable and that we need it. Um, the second thing is just around value. And to that, I would say, what is it that makes you feel like you don't deserve this? Um, because for each of us, I know that God would want to help us to understand what it is that we're believing that makes us think we couldn't deserve a gift so good as what God is offering through His Son, Jesus. The third thing is just physically, like, um, it, well, it plays out in a physical sense if you imagine it, but we're so full up of things that we believe about ourselves. Um, we're so holding on to so many things, juggling so many things, work, busyness, success, um, that all of those things and our own beliefs about ourselves, our own narrative, the own labels and titles that we give ourselves, make it impossible for us to put that stuff down in order to receive the gift. Um, you know, you can't just learn new things, you have to unlearn. And that's what I think this point speaks to, is what do we need to just put down in order to pick up and fully receive this incredible gift? So I think it's, it's simple and easy for us to understand that we need to receive it, that the key to unlocking grace is not just to knowing about it, but to receiving it. But the receiving it is what we struggle with. And so I find that there is a key that Jesus gave us, and I'm gonna read it to you from Matthew 18, two to four. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Just take a moment to think about a child and think about how children receive gifts. Um, God really shows us that the kingdom of heaven is like upside down. You know, the weak are strong and the poor are rich and all these crazy opposites that, that really teach us so much. But imagine a child. Um, when a child gets a gift, they don't question its value or um, do I want it or need it. You can give a kid a box with a seashell in and I guarantee they'll be delighted. Um, they don't, they don't kind of go, do I need it or do I want it? They just take it and receive it. And then I think of a child receiving a gift and I can't imagine a child 
thinking, do I deserve this? Or am I worth this gift? Or how can I repay it? Um, the last thing is that if a child physically is holding a whole lot of stuff in their hands and they need to go and fetch a gift, they will just drop that stuff like a hot potato. They won't give it a second thought. They will just put it down and rush to receive the new thing. And um, so it's, it's just so beautiful that we have this key to unlock it. And whenever we find ourselves struggling to receive a gift, to just imagine how it is as children. Um, I think to my own kids receiving gifts, we've had um, these moments of giving our older children cell phones and our little one a bike. And it's just so exciting to see how they receive them. And it's so exciting for us, the givers, to know that these gifts are gonna open up a new world um, for the older two and freedom and responsibility and for the little guy adventure. And you get so excited about seeing them get the gift and knowing the benefit of the gift to them in their lives. I think of times when I've really received a gift poorly. Um, I've had times where friends have like kind of um, put together for an amazing gift for me um, and I have not received it well. And I know that I've caused disappointment in, in my own questions and wrestling with, oh, I don't deserve this or how can I repay it? And I've really killed their joy in the giving of the gift. And I think of a, a dear friend who is great at receiving gifts and she's a gifts person through and through and a bunch of us got together to get her an incredible gift for her 40th and we were so excited to give it to her. Um, it, it had, we kind of had forgotten all about what the actual gift was, the going away and the, the reality of the gift. We were just so excited to give it to her and to see her receive it. Um, and so much more for our father. Our father has this gift, he longs to give us. He knows the benefit of it. He knows that it will take us out of the kingdom of Adam, um, the, the, the kingdom of darkness and destruction and sin that we struggle with, and it will put us into the kingdom and the life of Jesus with its restfulness and its life and its abundance and its freedom. And he knows how good it is for us. And he longs for us to see and, and receive this gift and take it and live in the power of what it means for us. So if you're struggling to receive the gift of grace, I just want to encourage you to use the key and, and unlock the key to receiving it by receiving it like a child. Think about children. Think about the absolute abandon and joy and simple receiving of gifts. And know that God longs for you to receive this gift of grace in just the same way. Thank you so much, Nats. And receiving is absolutely crucial. And I think, you know, you've never ever seen a child say the things, oh, you shouldn't have, or I don't deserve it. When it comes to a gift, children receive abundantly and open-heartedly. And here's the thing, that's God's heart for you. And he wants you to receive a couple things. Uh, the first is that he wants you to receive God's abundant provision of grace. God is not a God of stinginess or just enough. He's a God of abundance and he's provided for grace. And if he's a God of abundance, that grace doesn't just get you from sinner to saved. It gets you from saved to thriving and to this place of reigning in life. And so here's the thing about grace is maybe a different way to say this is favor. Okay, God's favor 
And you're like, how can you do that? How can you just change a word from the Bible? Let me explain how. The, the root word of grace is charis. And I used to go like, yes, I've got the grace of God. I'm forgiven of my sins, but God, I really pray for your favor. And then I went to did a word study on the word favor, and the root word for favor is the same as for grace, charis. And so it's a different way of saying the same thing. And so we think about grace is what forgives me of my sin, and favor is what helps me to thrive in life, but it's the same thing. God's favor saves you from sin, and God's favor causes you, causes you to thrive. could cause me to speak properly. That would also be awesome. And God's uh, grace saves you from sin, and God's grace causes you to thrive. And so God's got abundant provision of grace. The Bible says that by the favor of God, uh, Joseph was taken from the dungeon of life and made the second most powerful person in Egypt under Pharaoh. The Bible says that by the favor of God, the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they actually went to their Egyptian masters because they had been slaves and they asked them for gifts and they gave them gifts of gold and treasures and linen and beautiful clothes and stuff. By the favor of God, they were looked on favorably by the Egyptians. But I mean, how does that work, that slaves in this place of prosperity like this? That's the favor of God. And the Bible says that by the favor of God, Esther, was seen as more beautiful than all the other beautiful women in the kingdom, and she was given the special place of, uh, of privilege, really, in the, the kingdom, and it ended up saving the Jewish people. The favor of God does for you what you can't do for yourself. And that's an amazing thing, because the favor of God takes two fish and five loaves, or five fish and two loaves, I don't know, and feeds a multitude. The favor of God will bless your life in ways that is not your ability and is not about what you've done, because the favor of God does the impossible, just like the favor of God washed away my sin. The favor of God can cause me to thrive in life. And I want you to know that there's an abundant provision of grace or favor for your life. What you need to do is receive it. The second thing is the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is about having a right relationship with God. And God comes and he gives us a gift of righteousness. How? Through this man, Jesus Christ. He gives us a gift of righteousness. And Jesus lived perfectly in relationship to the Father, the only person that ever has. And when we place our faith in Jesus, God takes his righteousness and gives it to us as a gift, the gift of righteousness. And there's only one thing that you can do with this is receive it. You see, when you say to God, or, you, or when you say about this gift, Oof, God, you shouldn't have. The whole point is, yeah, well, if I should have, it's payment. It's your salary. But the whole point is that it's a gift. That's why I shouldn't have. And you see, we live in a world where uh, when people don't give us a gift at certain times, we get upset because we think they should have. You don't get a birthday present from your spouse or an anniversary present from your spouse or a Mother's Day present if you're a mother. Uh, yeah. Um, and then we're like, hey, how did you do that? Why didn't you get me a present? Because I deserve that. But the whole point is this is a gift. And if you deserve something, it's not a gift, it's payment. And the other thing is when you say, oh, well, you shouldn't have. Well, if you should have, it's payment. And the whole point is that God's not paying us what we deserve. It's not about how we behave. It's a free gift. And all you can do is go, thank you, God. And that's why Nats's point about being like a little child is so important because you never see a little child going, oh, you shouldn't have, oh, I don't deserve this. You just see little children going, woo, best ever. And here's the thing with gifts. Who's the focal point when people get gifts? The person receiving gift or the person giving it? Whenever you go to an event, it's the person that's receiving the gift that's the focal point. 
Why? Because people are excited for them and we cheer for them and that's wonderful. We receive God's gift and the Bible says the whole of heaven rejoices. The whole of heaven rejoices. But the true uh, hero of the story is God. You So just like the true hero of the gift story is the person giving. You see, the person giving the gift, they, they sat down and they thought, what does this person really want or really need or what would make them really happy? And then they got an idea and they went out to go look for it. And maybe they went to one shop and they didn't find it. And they went to the second shop and they found something like it, but they said, no, nah, it's not good enough. And they went to a third shop and then they went online and they did all the searches and they found the thing and they bought it and they were so excited and they got it home and they wrapped it up and they packaged it and they waited for the perfect time and they gave the gift just to see the person go, to minister their love and their sense of you're special to me into that person. And that's what God does. He's the hero of the story. He plotted and he planned. He said, my people are lost. They're in a place of sin. Death is reigning in their life. And I want to give them a gift of life. And he thought about how to do it. He thought, I've got the plan. I'm going to send my son. He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to take their sin. He's going to pay for it. And it's going to be a free gift. And you get to wake up on Christmas morning. And when you realize this, you go, woo, thank you. Jesus, for your free gift. That's all God wants from you to receive. And it causes life to come into our, into our lives in these six areas. I'm just gonna do this briefly. But if you need a depth or you need life in your relationship with God, I wanna tell you that God loves you, that He died for your sin and He wants to bring you into a place of intimacy and unity and union with Him. Maybe it's in relationship with yourself. And I've been a person that's really struggled in this area with insecurity and a whole bunch of stuff. But when you learn to see yourself through the lens of a father that would give you that kind of gift and just to see you smile, just to see you come alive and you learn to see yourself the way God sees you, it absolutely changes the way you see yourself. Maybe it's in your relationship with other people. And here's the thing, God actually loves to bring healing in our relationships with other people. And the Bible talks about a spirit of unity and a bond of love that unites us together in the spiritual family. And maybe even thinking, well, well, God, those people that I've got a broken relationship with, they don't even know God. It doesn't matter, God knows them. And God's got a wonderful ability to turn situations around. And uh, as a pastor, one of the greatest blessings of my life is to walk with people through uh, tough situations maybe a broken relationship or with a, a child or with a parent or, or in a marriage and just to see God bring healing and abundance there because that's who God is. Or maybe it's in this area of a, a real relationship with the spirit world and you feel like you're in a fight at the moment and you just feel like you're being bombarded in this fight. And I want you to know that there are weapons of warfare that are mighty to tear down strongholds in this place. And the Bible says that Jesus triumphed over Satan and led him as a, a, a sort of in a, in a triumphant campaign, paraded him as having been victorious over him. Or maybe it's this area of purpose. And you're going, God, what am I made for? God, what am I made for? And I want you to know that as you pursue God and you get to know this God, he'll lead you to this place of purpose. And he doesn't want you to live in that space. And maybe your whole story isn't making sense now, but God can speak into that sense and give you a sense of purpose for your life. Or maybe it's in your relationship to the earth and provision. And you're just stuck in this place of death, of fear, of the lack of provision. And, 
and brokenness there. And I want you to know that God is a provider for you, that he wants to bring life there. The Bible says that he became poor with our poverty so we could become rich with his riches. Here's the point, is that Jesus died so that you could reign in life. There is grace for your situation and the gift of righteousness of an intimate relationship with your father can break into your world and bring something amazing into your situation. Your job is to receive it like a child. Thank him for it. Get giddy happy like you were a kid on Christmas morning and just go, thank you, thank you, thank you. That whatever breakthrough I need, Jesus, you're the source of it and I'm gonna rejoice in you for it. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the gift of life, for life and life in abundance. Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and life in abundance. And I just pray for your breakthrough into our life, Father God. I pray for people that are experiencing lack or death in one of these areas, that Father God, you would meet them and speak to them about your abundant provision. In the name of Jesus, amen.